In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the power in your word. Thank you for victory that was won for us at the cross of Calvary. Thank you for the grace to establish that victory, Heavenly Father. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Amen. Last week, today is part two of our our series on spiritual warfare. Um, and last week we, we talked about the start of this spiritual warfare. We talked about uh, the origin of this spiritual warfare. Uh, as the kingdoms clash, the kingdom of light and the kingdom, this was the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And uh, we talked about how um, Satan. Uh, is the origin of this warfare, and we talked about uh, how he became Satan and you know our adversary with the number with the angels that went into rebellion with him, and we know those angels are the demons that obey his bidding, do his instructions. And their mandate is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. To stop the children of God from entering the fullness of what God has from the, for them. To stop them from entering God's plans and God's purposes. And of course, a question that should be at the forefront of, of our minds is, as we talk about these enemies, is where are these enemies? We need to know where they are. As we engage them, well, the answer is simple. These enemies, these uh, uh, spirits, bodiless persons, because they are persons in exactly the same way you and I are persons. They might have a more wicked, devious, evil mind, but that's if they're on the side of the kingdom of darkness. But they are persons. So, so where are these persons? Uh, you know, where we, that we are engaged in battle against? Well, the answer in, 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 a, not, in a simple, simple sentence is that they exist in the spirit realm or the spirit world. Uh, that's their own world. It's the world that is inhabited by them because they are bodiless persons. They, they can't exist uh, in the material world because they don't have bodies and you need bodies to exist in the material world. So they exist in this spirit realm or this world that is inhabited by spirits. And it's important to know that that realm is the primary realm. Uh, it was first before this realm or this world that we are so used to. Before this world where we can touch material things and where things are have a physical substance, there was the other realm. And in fact, if you look at creation, you will understand 
that the other realm gave birth to this realm. So the other realm is first. It's priority. The enemy would love us not to understand this so that our focus is on this realm. He would love us to be oblivious to the existence of the other world or the other realm. Because as long as we don't know, we don't acknowledge his existence, then he can operate with the subterfuge and the cunning and the wiles that he operates with. Because when you don't know where your enemy is or where your enemy is coming from, you're going to be blindsided by your enemy because you don't know where your enemy is. So he would love us to poo-poo that world and say, oh, it's just, you know, some stuff that, you know, who believes in all that stuff? They don't really exist. You know, don't, don't take it too seriously. I mean, what do they mean by bodiless persons? That's what he would love. Because then he can operate from there with the viciousness that is his nature and cause havoc in lives in this realm. Uh, because we, we don't acknowledge that that realm exists. But believe me, that realm, that world is real. And you cannot be a serious Christian who reads your Bible without knowing that that world is real. That there's a world that is inhabited by bodiless persons. You can't be reading this Bible and say you believe in this Bible without knowing that that world is real. There are so many examples in the Bible. Literally, I mean, that's what the Bible is about. Explaining how that realm works so that we know and we can make sure that it works for us to fulfill God's plans and purposes. One of the most graphic is taken from 2 Kings, the 6th chapter. And I love that story. Um, I'll, I'll take it on from verse 13. But before we get to verse 13, a bit of background. Um, the nation of Israel was, against, was fighting against the, the nation of Syria. And the king of Syria would call together uh, his closest advisors, and would, would explain to them his plans to execute the war. And every time he would set a trap for the king of Israel, the king of Israel would avoid it because, and, and he, it became clear to him that the king of Israel was getting advance warning, foreknowledge. And so he assumed that it must be a breach of trust from his closest advisors. So he called them together and said to them, well, somebody is telling the, 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 the enemy, Israel, what I am planning and what I am thinking. Of course, he was angry about that breach, that supposed breach of trust. But then they said to him, no, it's, it's, it's not any one of us. It's one man called Elisha. The problem is that when even what you think in your bedroom, Elisha knows and Elisha tells the king of Israel. Yeah? We'll talk a bit more about this this week. You know, every single day this week, I'm doing teachings that, that I hope are changing lives. How many were there for the teaching on the blood of Jesus? Yeah? Were you blessed by it? Yeah. You, it, it's, it's really, the teachings are changing my life. Because what am I teaching? I'm teaching weapons of warfare. How do we fight this fight and win? So one of the things I will teach, uh, I'm sure you know that in modern day warfare, certainly, in any, any, any age, but it's even more so in modern day warfare. What gives you an edge over your enemy is that you can listen in on your enemy's conversations and you can see your enemy when your enemy doesn't think you can see him. That's why drones are a big part of warfare now. You understand that? 
But it's the same in the spirit. Yeah? It's the same. Every child of God should be able to listen in and be able to see. And so Elisha was listening in and he, he would be told. And he would tell the king of Israel. So the king, the king of Syria got so angry that by the time we get to verse 13, he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. So he decided if it is Elisha that is the cause of this breach, somehow you tell me that Elisha knows what I'm planning in my bedroom, then the simple thing is let's get rid of Elisha. And so he says, can you do some reconnaissance and find out where he is? And so they did. And Elisha had finished some ministry and was going to spend the night in a place called Dothan. So they told the king of Syria, he's going to be in Dothan tonight. Guess what the king did? The Bible says he got a great army. Not ten soldiers, not a hundred soldiers. A whole army went after one man. And the Bible says under the cover of darkness, the army went into position and surrounded the city. The intention was that at the first light of day, they would invade the city and arrest this man of God who was causing them to lose this war. And so this, they, 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 they surrounded the city. And then the Bible says, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. Now, the servant got up in the morning before his master. Oh, I assume, as they, it would have probably been the case, master is praying, servant goes out. So servant looks around and he sees a great army of horses and chariots. How many know that that army was real? How many agree? Yeah? It was very physical. If he touched the army, if he, they would, if he could get near enough, he would touch and with his natural senses, he could, he could touch that army. He could see the army with his natural eyes. He could smell the horses because if there are so many horses, they smell. All his natural senses told him that this is a real army. And they are not friendly. They are hostile. Their intention is to do my master in and they are probably going to add me to it. And so he rushes back in in alarm. And he says to his master, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What was he saying? We are finished. Ministry is over. They have got us. They trapped us. We're, 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 what can we do against this great multitude? It's a great army. And I guess when he told his master, he must have been even more alarmed at the calm expression that was on his master's face. Because he expected his master to panic as he, as he had. But then listen to what his master says. The master says, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now how many know at that point he thought his master has, has lost his mind? Those who are with us. You and me. Me and you. It doesn't matter how you count it. One and one is two. 
Those who are with us, I cannot see anybody here. Sir, you and me, they are around us, sir. It's not 10, not 100, not 500 probably. A great army. What do you mean, sir? Why are you not perturbed? Why aren't you anxious, sir? It is over. I don't want to die today, sir. I knew it was a mistake to come and serve you. You're a bit of a crank. I just don't... I, sir, you and me is one plus one. It is two, sir. And then the man of God looks at him. Because, you see, the man of God understood that it's not about this realm. And the man of God said, this is the prayer. The Bible says, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. What did Elisha mean? The man was seen naturally. But Elisha was helping us understand that you have natural eyes, you have spiritual eyes. May God open your spiritual eyes. You have natural ears, you have spiritual ears. So Elisha said, Lord, open his spiritual eyes. Let him see the other realm. And the Bible says, the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And what did he see? Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Is it any wonder Elisha was calm? Because whilst the man could not see Elisha's personal protection detail from heaven, Elisha knew that I have personal security from heaven. And these ones that you see, they are normal horses and chariots. The ones that protect me from that realm that you cannot see. But don't forget that that realm is real. For the one that you see is really being propelled by the ones that you don't see. So it is the ones that don't see that, that fight, not the ones that see. And the ones that don't see that are on the side of the army are seeing the horses and chariots of fire that protected Elisha. That's why Elisha was calm. Elisha knew that what is around me that you can't see is more than what you see that is against me. Can someone say amen to that? Yes. And you know, if there's a book that helps us understand the existence of this realm and, and, and how that realm is connected to what happens here, the existence of this other world, is the book of Job. You know, the enemy does not want you to believe this thing. The enemy wants you to be so intellectually sophisticated, so 21st century, so iPhone age. So, you know, Costa Coffee, Cappuccino age. You know, so fancy restaurant. You know, just, just, you're just so trendy. You don't do this, 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 this unsophisticated stuff of demons and devils. You're too sophisticated for that. Another world? What other world? That's where the enemy wants you because you are a sitting duck if he gets you there. He cannot be happy that information is coming your way. How many know knowledge is power? The Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. So the one who has knowledge has power. What's being brought to you is knowledge that will empower you. The book of Job is an amazing book that explains this thing. The Bible starts in the book by telling us about the man Job. The Bible says he was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, he shunned evil. The Bible tells us about his ten children. The Bible tells us about how well off he was, his possessions. There were so, so, he was so well off and so, had so much uh, uh, goodwill and, and fame that the Bible says he was the greatest of all the people in the East. 
And then the Bible tells us that one day, verse 6, Job 1, verse 6, now there was a day. Can you say that with me? Now there was a day. Say it one more time. Now there was a day. And on that day, the Bible tells us what happened. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came along with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? Now, all this the Bible records for us. It's happening. Job has no idea. You can't see them. But if we believe the Bible, and that's the reason you're here, because you believe the Bible, it's the book that we believe, then this is a true account. Where are you coming from, God says to him. So Satan answers to the Lord and says, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Can you beat that? God says to Satan, where are you coming from? Satan says, I'm coming from the earth. I've been going to and fro and walking back and forth. Did anybody see him here? Did you see him in Brent Cross? How many drove down the A406 today? Did you see him while you were driving? If you go to Westfield in the afternoon, are you going to see him? Will you see him in your gym? Do you think he's at the gate of your house? But he says he is. He says, I've been walking up and down. That means some people must have seen him. And the question is, what, what were you walking up and down doing? Peter helps us understand that. Peter says that we have to be alert and sober. That's what Peter says to us. He says, for your enemy, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion looking for whom he will devour. So he's been walking up and down. He's still walking up and down. He's in Costa Coffee, in Starbucks, in Westfield. He's there, and he's not alone in Westfield. Many, many of his people following him. He's everywhere, walking up and down. I mean, he's not everywhere like God, but as many places as he can walk to. And if he can't go, he sends his people. His people are everywhere. They are in Soho. Plenty. Everywhere. Walking up and down on a mission. The mission is, who can I devour? Whose life can I destroy? Whose marriage can I mess up? Whose children can I send astray? Who can I afflict? Walking up and down. And then the Lord says to him, okay, have you thought about Job, my servant? None like him. He's an excellent man. And Satan answers the Lord and says, says does Job respect you, revere you, and worship you for nothing he says, you've made a hedge around him and his household and around all that he has on every side. Really? Do you think when Job went to the cattle market to buy more cows, the people saw a hedge around him? Do you think so? Talk to me, church. Do you think they saw a physical, they, they, with their eyes they saw a hedge? But then the Bible's God, God, not, even, not, not the Bible quoting somebody else. The Bible says about God, Satan says, you've made a hedge around him. It's the problem. You know, when you watch those science fiction movies and there's a protective shield around the person, there's a protective shield around him. That's what Job was saying. You put the protective shield around his wife and his children. And that's the reason why we can't touch him because he has a hedge. And then he goes on to say, 
You bless the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. What was he saying? He was saying he is where he is because of you. It's not because he's an intelligent businessman, not because he knows how to buy and sell cattle, not because he knows how to, how to trade in the futures market in cattle, not because of that. He's, he's only wealthy because you have blessed the work of his hands. What was, what was Satan saying? It's because of what you have done in this realm that he is who he is in that realm. And then God says to him, it's okay. Satan says to him, if you took away the blessings, he will not revere you how he reverses him. Now, that's a dangerous statement to make to the 21st century church because a lot of the 21st century church is with God for the blessings. But God said, not, not Job. He's not with me for the blessings. His love for me is deeper than what I give him. His focus is not my hand. His focus is my face. So God says, it's okay. You can touch. Don't lay hands on him, but you can touch everything that is his. You know what that tells me in terms of spiritual warfare? The ultimate power belongs to God. Satan is not roaming around doing what he likes. He can only because God allows him to. The ultimate power, Psalm 62 verse 11 once was it spoken, twice have I heard that power belongs to God. Amen? And so, the day in that realm is over. Everybody say with me, one day. Verse 13. Now there was a day. So one day there always leads to another day here. It was one day there. Things were about to start happening in the physical realm, in this world. And it was happening as a result of one day there. If you want to affect the day here, you have to deal with the day there. So one day here, the Bible says, now there was a day. The sons were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, donkeys feeding. Your business was going well. When the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. They said to him, everything was going well. But suddenly something happened. The Sabians raided, and the business is destroyed, and they've even killed some of your servants. Now, how many know that if Job thought life was simply about this world, his reaction will be in this world. He might say to his foreman, increase security, please. Make sure the fences are higher. Put some, barbed wire, put some, uh, some electric, electric wire on the fences. Make sure that nobody opens the gates. Rebuild, rebuild this. You know, get more soldiers. Get more gu armed guards. How many know that all that is talking about here? The reason Sabians raided was not because of what happened here. It was what, because of what happened there. Am I making some sense? And then it goes on. While speaking, another person came. Fire fell from heaven, burned the sheep, 
The servants consumed them. I alone have escaped. While speaking, while he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding bands, raided the camels, took them away, killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped. While he was spe still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. It fell on the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped. Now, how many know at this point in time, by the time these calamities have happened, if Job does not understand, now hang on a second, this, this thing is being orchestrated from somewhere, his reactions are going to be earthy and natural. And that's where a lot of people are. He's going to say, you know, the house fell. How can a sturdy house like this fall? We must prosecute the engineer. We must sue the council for having granted permission for this house to be okay. We must make sure that we, get, we recover what we lost. And all those reactions are natural. But the thing was not instigated from this realm. It was from another realm. His attention should be first the other realm before he starts to deal with it in this realm. Is this making some sense to someone? Is it making some sense? Because you see, what happens in that realm affects what happens here. And you can't see them, but that is the truth. It is the first realm. And we can affect what happens there if we know, have the knowledge that we have, and if we can engage with the knowledge that we have. We can affect what happens there. You know, when Jesus turns around um, to address Peter, Matthew 16 from verse 21 to 23. Now, Jesus is telling the disciples about God's plan. You know, God's plan, God's plan for the world, including what got you and I to where we are, the cross. But Peter, his emotions for, for Jesus... He wants to stop him from going to Jerusalem and getting to the cross. And when God, Jesus turns around to him, verse 23 of that scripture, Jesus says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, how many know that that's a pretty harsh thing to say to the closest disciple to you, that you call the closest disciple Satan? One translation says, he says to Jesus, get away from me, Satan. If that was what Jesus said, it was uncharacteristic of Jesus. But how many know that Jesus was not addressing Peter? Jesus was addressing the spirit behind Peter. Jesus was not just seeing Peter. Jesus was seeing Satan trying to manipulate Peter to pervert God's plan and God's purpose. So what am I saying, my sister? The challenge is not your mother-in-law. It's the spirit behind her. The challenge is not your friend. It's the spirit behind your friend. It's not your boss. Don't, 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 don't waste your time on him. It's the spirit behind him. It's not all these people that are trying to destroy this nation and think it is just intellectual and sophisticated and so 21st century, some of the things that they're propagating. It is not them. It's the spirits that are behind them. And so if you're wasting your time on the person, it's a complete waste of time. It's the spirits that are behind the person. It's not your husband or your wife. He wakes up in the morning and for no reason, he just grunts at you. You say, good morning. Say, what do you want about this morning? It's a, some, 
A bodiless person is telling him, see her face. That's why he just says, just kiss the steed. Then you say, good morning. The bodiless person is saying, you see how she, how she disrespects you. They are talking to him. Then the bodiless person is saying, can you remember? This is what her mother did to her father. They are going to make you like her mother. The bodiless person is talking to him. So you say, where are we going? Say, we're not going anywhere. No, he's reacting to you. But the man does not understand that it's a bodiless person that is trying to cause havoc in his marriage. And you can't see the person in a natural sense. May God open your eyes to see into that realm. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, verses 3 to 4. The Passion Translation says, Even if our gospel message is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, for their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, leaving them in unbelief. Their blindness keeps them from seeing the day-spring light of the wonderful news of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the divine image of God. Now, how many have members of their family whose names are in that box? Because we are praying for their souls. Let's see. Yeah? Okay. Now, have you ever seen them walking around with a blindfold? Talk to me, church. But the Bible says that they are blinded. They can't see. There's a blindfold on their eyes. The Bible actually says the God of this age has blinded them. So, what we should see, if this world is the only thing that exists, we should see some devil walking around with his hands over their eyes. We can't see that. Because it's not in this world. It's in the other world. That's why when we speak to them about the beauty of Christ, the relationship with Christ, they are irritated. They are not interested. And you're thinking, but this is a no-brainer. It makes sense. It's a no-brainer. Anybody who has any sense will follow Jesus. But the God of this world that is covering their eyes and stopping their ears is determined that they will not hear what you say. So that's why it is always a fight, warfare. You pray through for members of your family to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Can someone say amen? amen. And you know, there are so many examples that drive home this point. That there is a war in the other world. The enemies we fight exist in the other world. And they are determined to stop you and I from entering God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. You know, Daniel set himself to fasting for 21 days. Because, you see, Daniel was critical to God's plan for Israel. There was a message, a revelation, a vision that da visions Daniel needed to get and share with the nation of Israel. So he did what some of us are doing. He decided to fast for 21 days to seek God's face and get an answer from God. The Bible says in Daniel, the 10th chapter and the second verse, In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning, fasting three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat, no wine came into my mouth. I didn't anoint myself until... The three whole weeks were fulfilled. Amen. He set himself to fasting for three weeks. And on the 21st day of his fast, he says, A hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hand. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. 
While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. What was he saying to Daniel? He said, Daniel, the first day of your 21-day fast, when you opened your mouth and made a request, brought a petition, came before God with the cry of your heart, he says, the first day you spoke, he said it was heard. And you know, that's confirmation of scripture. Jeremiah 33 verse 3. God says, call unto me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things. If you understand prayer, John 5 verses 14 and 15. That's exactly what the Bible says. That the, for us, because we are the righteous of God, the Bible says God hears the cries of the righteous. He, say he says he inclines his ear to listen to our cry. The Bible is full of testimony to the fact that for you and I, the moment we pray, God hears. Amen? He's listening for our cry, our prayer. And so when Daniel prayed, the angel that came said, the moment you prayed the first time, the first day, say, God heard. And when God heard, the, 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 what was the angel saying? God answered because they sent me with the answer. So how come, Mr. Angel, you didn't come for 21 days? If God heard and God sent you, how come I'm just getting it 21 days of fasting and praying? He said, but... This is the reason. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. He says, I was coming with the answer. But as I was coming, a demon of rank, a fallen angel, a follower of Satan of rank, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, in the natural, there probably were princes of the kingdom of Persia. But how many know he wasn't talking of a natural prince? Because the natural prince, where will he engage and stop the angel? He says, a prince of the kingdom of Persia stopped me, withstood me, fought with me, prevented me from moving. And thank God that Daniel continued to pray and fast. Because as we have heard before, the prayers of saints... It's the fuel on which angels fly. So Daniel was not praying and fasting because God hadn't answered. Daniel was praying and fasting because the answer was coming, but there was a contention that was going on in another world that he couldn't see. And so we're not saying keep praying and keep fasting because God is slow to answer. No. We're not saying that you're even praying and fasting for victory. No. We're saying victory was won for us at the cross of Calvary. But we are praying and fasting to establish the victory that was won. That's what we're doing. Praying and fasting. The Lord said to me, go on a 40-day fast. No food at all. And this is day 16. No food at all. Some of my friends heard and said, ah. 40 days, no food. He says, everything okay? I say, everything is very okay. It's just that there are a lot of contentions with many things that I've prayed for the church, for the nation, for my family. A lot of 
angels have been sent to stop this thing in another world. So I need to pray through those things. So if the prize is a 40-day fast, I do a 40-day fast. Warfare is not easy, but we get grace from God. Thank God for the kind of wife I have. When I said I'm doing a 40-day fast, she said, I'll join you. Yesterday, we were talking about it. And I said to her, I can't believe we're not going to see food till middle of February. Middle of February before we eat food. I said, wow. As I'm driving, I've noticed every takeaway. The things I don't, the things I don't eat. There's one I, one I noticed, go-go chicken. I said, what are they selling go-go chicken? I've never, I don't go to those kind of places. Because, of course, there's contention. The, the God of the belly is saying, you know, you don't have to break. You don't have to. Yeah, you're not the only one. So the church has a 21-day fast. End on the 21st day. I remember saying to Shola, I said, Shola, what if I end this thing on the 21st day? She said, that's not what God told you, and that's not what you told me. And thank God for her that she said, you know what, I'll go with you. Thank God for, for some of the people. Doc, as soon as he heard that I'm doing 40 days, he said, I'll join you. I haven't asked Mark, but it's a no-brainer. If I said I'm doing 40 days, Mark is doing 40 days, it's a no-brainer. I, I don't even have to ask him. So someone might say, ah, you people are not going to eat for 40 days. Yes. Why? Because we're in a fight. And this is for somebody who likes food. As you know, your pastor, he likes food. I'm a foodie. I have no qualms about saying it. I like cooking. I like food. I like eating out. I like food. Shola told me to take Soch to Kentucky yesterday. I walked into KFC. Everything was calling me in KFC. Say, lie with me. Lie with me. Seducing me. Drumsticks were just seducing me, saying, come, uh, lie with me. Chicken wings were flying around me, saying, lie with me. But we're in a fight. There's a price to pay. May our bellies not destroy God's plans for our lives. He says, I couldn't move until Michael, the chief prince, came to help me. So I was stuck there. And as Daniel prayed, help came in terms of the chief prince, Michael. You know, and I love it whenever I see Michael because I know it's war. When Michael is the angel, Gabriel's, Gabriel brings messages. Michael, he deals with war. When Michael arrived, I can only imagine what happened. Oh God, I can only imagine what happened. Because this was the prince, chief prince has arrived. As soon as Michael arrived, I can bet you that demonic demon on assignment, that prince of Persia must have just said to Michael, it's okay, it's okay. No need to come and bring your sword. It's okay. I'm going, I'm going. I just was here. We're just, you know, talking to him. I'm going. And as soon as he left, the angel comes with the answer. Verse 15. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. What God had said to him was so heavy for the nation. 
It says he was speechless. That's what the, the, the demons and the kingdom of darkness wanted to stop from coming to him. There's stuff that God wants to do in your life that will make you and those who see it speechless because of the awesomeness of it. You have to contend to make sure those things come to pass in 2020. Can someone say amen? amen. Verse 20. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. What was he saying? He says, they are angry that I have brought the message to you. Israel is going to be sorted out. So as I go back, they are waiting for me. There's going to be another fight. And the, the, the prince of Persia has sent for reinforcements from his cousin, the prince of Greece. Somebody says, is this happening? Yes. It's happening in the other world. There are fights that are going on that affect families, affect futures, affect destinies, affect communities, affect the destinies of nations. You can't just be here just eating and sleeping and, and, and thinking that's life. You can't be here just hoping that you get a promotion and thinking that's life. If your whole focus is to just buy a nice car, what a, what a useless life to live. Because there are things that are happening in another realm, another world, that affect you. Can someone say amen? amen? And in that realm, there's both good and bad. That's the truth. And you access it according to which kingdom you're in. They give you access to that realm. If you're in the kingdom of God, God gives you access. If you're in the kingdom of darkness, Satan gives you access. But in that realm, there's good and bad. In fact, if you think about it, all the major players are in that realm. This realm cannot be as important. Because to be in that realm, you have to be a spirit. What does the Bible say in John 4 verse 24? It says, God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The angels of God are spirits. What does the Bible say in Hebrews 1 verse 14? The Bible says these are ministering spirits. Spirits is just another way of saying they are bodiless persons. They don't have mass, physical mass. They don't have bodies. But they are persons. So God is a spirit. Angels are spirits. Satan is is a spirit. Demons or the fallen angels are spirits. They just don't have bodies. And it would have been a disaster if you and I, this battle is all about us and we ourselves are not spirits. But thank God that you are a spirit. Somebody doesn't want to say amen to that. You are a spirit. The Bible says in Genesis 1 verse 27, God says, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. Verse 27 says, and then God made man in his image and his likeness. Now, how many know that if God made man in his image, if God looked like humanity, how many know that God would not look very pretty? He'll be a bit black. A bit white. He'll have Chinese features. 
He'll have Asian hair. And you can just add the rest of the world. So how many know that in his image cannot be a physical image? So how did God make us in his image? In his spiritual image. Made like God. So when God first made us, he made us spirit. So we are spirits. But then the thing with spirits is that spirits are not designed to exist on a material realm. They are designed to exist in the spirit realm. But then God created the earth and he wanted man to rule the earth on, on his behalf. And so he needed to create a physical suit for man. That's the body that you and I have. And when he put the spirit in the body, the com connection birthed a soul, gave man a mind. So we say man is tripartite. Mind is spirit, soul, and body. But the primary man is a spirit. That's why people who are racist because of uh, a person's skin color are at the bottom rung of the ladder of, the ladder of intelligence. They are bays. Because if I judge you by your clothing, how many know that of, of men, I am the most foolish? So I think that because you wear Armani and because you carry a Chanel bag, that you're the happening person, you're together. I haven't checked whether you're a thief carrying Chanel, a criminal wearing Armani. No, 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 no. Just your suit. And then because you, you, you don't wear that, I disdain you and I look down on you. The external is what makes me determine what you wear. That's what racism is. Because you're looking at my suit. My suit is my body. That's why when I die, they put my suit back to where they got the suit from. I, I go back into the ground. They bury my body. But the real me, my spirit, has gone back to the person who gave me the spirit. So when I meet people, it doesn't matter what, what color, what complexion, it doesn't matter. I want to find out the real you. I want to know your spirit. And so because we are spirits, we can engage in that realm. And that's why we want to mature our spirits quickly. Because it's maturity of the spirit that allows you to engage in that realm. That's why in the kingdom of God, when we feel people are mature in the spirit, we're attracted to them. Because we feel they are mature in the spirit. They can engage in that realm. They see in that realm. That's why people are constantly looking for people who see. They say, do you see? That's what they mean. Can you see into that realm? But there are many people who don't see, but say they see. So it's better for you to learn to see so that somebody doesn't see for you. I don't need a guide if I can see myself. But in the same way, the people in the kingdom of darkness also look for people who engage in that realm. They look for people. That's why people will flock to a certain man. They say, this man, you know, he can see. He will kill two cows, kill one chicken, pour it on your head, ask you to dance around with it, tell you to walk around naked, and all many, many things. They'll tell you to go, go and uh, steal your wife's, uh, a lock of your wife's hair so that he can use it to make sure that your wife does not go with another man. And you go there. Why are you laughing at yourself? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And you're going there because that man has access from that realm. But you also have access. You don't need anybody from the kingdom of God. You're made in his image. 
You're seated in, in that world with Jesus. Hear Jesus' testimony, John 8, verse 23. He said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. What was he saying? There are two worlds. Please wake up and smell the coffee. Don't let the enemy take you out in this war. Just going every day to school, back and forth, and you think that's life? No. As you're going to school, he's walking, he's walking by you. You didn't know. He's following you to school. You don't own the road. In any case, you don't know because you can't see into that world. He's roaming around looking for who he'll devour. And the conflict that this is all about exists in that realm. So Paul puts it like this in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. He says, finally, my brethren, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's what Paul says. And you know, I love the passion translation of that scripture. I really love it. It says, now my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. He has saved what? The most important truths for last. What is he saying? What I'm about to say is serious stuff. He says it's not just a truth. It's not just an important truth. He qualifies it by saying these are the most important truths I have saved for the last. And what are these most important truths that the enemy does not want you to know? He says, be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. And you know, that is one of the most encouraging things that I have ever heard with regards to this battle. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that you can't fight them on your own. He says, the reason that you are victorious is because of your union with Christ and because of the supernatural power that he has infused in you, which is, of course, the Spirit of God. He says that is why you are victorious. I was saying, to some, I was saying in the first service, I asked Doc, I said, how long does it take someone in the medical profession to become a consultant? He says maybe, what, 15 years, for some people longer, but generally 15 years. If you've just done your work properly, 15, 20 years, whatever, you'll be at the top of your game. And how many know that there's a comfort that comes when, when they say to you, the consultant is coming? Because you, you feel that the person who knows, the person who's at the top of the game is now involved. For 20 years, it's a consultant, and you think he knows everything? This enemy we are fighting has been at his job for 6,000 years. Like Shola and I always say to, uh, to each other, anyone who works at something for 6,000 years and is not good at it is daft. 6,000 years. He has, he's a specialist in his work. He's, he's a, he, has a, he has PhDs in how to destroy families. He's an expert in how to trap people in failure. He has, he has, he's an emeritus professor in how to bring pain and shame 
He has destroyed marriages that we thought were strong. He has brought down men of God that were destined to be used for God. Scattered whole churches. He has trapped children in addiction. Children who were showing great signs. He has caused nations to fight against themselves. He has caused nations that had, had a bright future to blow up their future. The Bible says we fight against powers. By the time the Bible says something has power, it has power. And if it wasn't for the, our life union with Christ, if it wasn't for the cross and the victory at the cross of Calvary, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God that supernaturally infuses you and I with explosive power which he cannot resist, this battle is over before it starts. And Paul goes on to say to us, to engage in this fight, you have to put on God's complete armor provided for you. And we'll talk about the armor next week. He says, so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. What is he saying? If you don't put on this armor, don't go into this fight, you are exposed. Now, the challenge is that you can't even leave the fight because you are born into the fight. The moment you become a citizen of this kingdom, born again, you're enlisted in the battle whether you like it or not. He says, your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings. It's not your auntie. It's not your sister. Stop fighting in a family strife. Then you're not talking to your sister. It's not your sister. Hey, wake up. Deal with the spirit behind your sister. Then you'll see your real sister. You're not fighting with human beings. But we are fighting with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Please, Paul never said we don't fight. He didn't say we don't wrestle. He says, no, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He didn't say we don't wrestle. He says, our fight is not against human beings. It's against an organized system of wickedness, of bodiless persons, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness. I love the way the, um, the, the, the Passion Translation puts it. Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion, under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. That all this we see is because of them. So when we say we are fighting for revival, it's a fight. The morality, there are spirits behind it. The pornography, spirits behind it. The violence on our streets. It's not young boys that just are running around and mock. No, there are bloodthirsty spirits behind them. The strife in your family, spirits behind it. And that's why Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, as a good soldier, don't get entangled in civilian matters. What is Paul saying? He's not saying that we don't live in, a, in, a, in, a, in this world. But Paul is saying, understand that you're a soldier. Don't allow civilian affairs to overrun your life. So much of the church is in church because of civilian matters. They don't know that they are soldiers of the cross. Soldiers of Christ. So they are entangled in civilian matters. Consumed by a mortgage. 
overwhelmed by a promotion. Their whole prayer is about a career. They are so comfortable, like civilians, that if you ask them to pray for 10 minutes, ah, they are thinking, what's that? Say, pray for, pray for 20 minutes. They're thinking, really? Yes. Yesterday we prayed for 12 hours. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Some people stayed with us from beginning to end. And why are we doing that? Is your pastor mad? No. It's a fight. I understand it. If this enemy gets hold of me for teaching you these things, a friend of mine said to me last night as a pastor, and he said to me, Agu, be careful. He says, this is too much. The, the, you, the kingdom of darkness is going to be in that. They're going to think you're teaching these people all these things. Because what makes you win a war is knowledge. And now you have knowledge. So the enemy is in trouble. So if I don't come out here and pray for 12 hours, they're going to wait for me. And then also, the things that are held up by fights, I need them here. I'm saying to God, we need to see the power of God in your church. God is saying it's a contention. I'm saying we need to see revival. God is saying it's a contention. There are certain things I'm believing God for my family. God is saying it's a contention. Some of these things I'm standing against ancient family spirits. It's a contention. Because they have serviced the altars of their gods for many years. And we have just became born again recently in comparison. But thankfully, it's not a question of yes. It's a question of knowledge. Knowledge is power. The truth that you know that sets you free. My people perish because of lack of knowledge. So that's what Jesus' house is. It's a war room. It's boot camp. We're empowering people to be able to take on whatever comes their way to establish God's plan and God's purpose for your life. Amen? Amen. And you're a soldier. It might not look like it, but you are a soldier. And we don't go around, you know, trying to look like we're soldiers. Because the fight is not natural. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You know, I used, I used Princess Funke as an example in the first service, so I use her again in the second service. Now, now how, many, how many know she looks normal? Yeah? And better than normal. Yeah, she looks, she's nice, she's attractive. Doc did well. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, no, seriously, Doc did well. She's in her 50s, I won't tell you what part of 50, but, you know, she, she looks like she's 30. That's, that's, that's it, that's it, that's what it is. Amen? Now, 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 how many know, how many know when you see her, you won't think soldier? Yeah? You think, you know, sophisticated lady, well-dressed, you know, carries herself well. But, but, but she's a soldier. She's fighting. I was saying to them in the first service that when she started the fast for 13 days, she has had no food. And, and you can tell she's lost so much weight. No food, no food, no food, no food for some of you. No food. Why is, why is this sophisticated lady who dresses well going around not eating? Ah, this Pastor Agu is turning this people's head. No. She understands that it's warfare. She understands that she has to fight. For us, she was here with us yesterday. She led a session. She understands. She understands that it's a fight. My brother is a fight. We fight. We fight to establish the victory. And it's not a faraway fight. It's not... It's not, the person is not far away. This is what some people think. No. The Bible says it's hand-to-hand combat. 
So it's not, it's not a, it's not a, I throw a punch and then I go to Costa Coffee. I drink some coffee. Then I come back. Then I, I, I slap him a bit. Then, then I go to Starbucks. Then I drink. No, no, no. The Bible says it's wrestling. That means it's close. That means we're grappling. That means we're trying to throw each other down. That means I'm trying to hold his leg and fling him over. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says it's hand-to-hand combat. Which means that I have a knife, he has a knife. I have the sword of the Spirit in my hand and I must get it into him. That's what the Bible says, thanks. That's what the Bible says. What does that mean? It means that he's, when you wake up, he's there. When you slept, he's there. When you have a low moment, he's there. It means that they're very patient. They're dogged. It means that like Moses, they track us. They know our weaknesses, our frailties. And if we don't, Moses didn't have what you and I have, the blood of Jesus. So once Moses killed the Egyptian, they programmed it that he has an anger issue. So let us send spirits of anger to follow him. And they followed Moses. You know, the thing with these guys, they are so evil that they won't even take you out when you're nobody. They will wait till when it has maximum impact. When families and, you know, things are destroyed. They wait. So why didn't they take Moses out when nobody knew him in Egypt? They waited. As the demons on assignment wanted to go, Satan said, wait, there's always a timing for it. They watched him as his anger exploded and he smashed the tablets of God. And they said, anybody that can throw what God wrote down, we are going to nail him. He has an anger issue. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, the sin that does so easily beset us, the one that is close to us, deal with it. They watched him as in anger, he smashed what God wrote. He was there when God's finger was writing it. But his anger was such that he smashed it. They watched him. My brother, watch the pornography. It's small. Deal with it now. You see, these things are like monsters. They come small, break out of eggs. But if you keep feeding them, one day it becomes a monster that eats you up. They watched as he crushed the tablets, ground it to powder, and put it in the water system of the whole camp and made them drink it. How many know that's another level of anger? They were watching him. And they were preparing the people who would trip him up, the children of Israel. And at the height of what God was doing with him, just as he was about to lead them into the promised land, Satan said, strike. It's ready. So they got the children of Israel to, to start to do what they've done all the time. To start complaining and, and saying, you know, this God, where is he? We want to go back to Egypt. And, and Moses could not believe it. The, the anger, the spirits of anger. And you know, people say to me, oh, can a Christian be possessed? Absolutely not. It is impossible for your body to be the temple of God and your body to be the temple of other spirits. It's not possible. But can a Christian be oppressed? Definitely Yes. If you don't deal with areas in your life and bring them, submit them to God, then the enemy will send spirits, and I'll talk about that next week or the week after, that can oppress you. 
So Christians can be oppressed if they don't submit to, entirely to God and if they don't learn how to eject these aliens that are trying to oppress them. And that is exactly what happened to Moses. He hadn't dealt with the anger. And so, of course, because that was an area of weakness, you can imagine these bodiless persons whispering to him, that look at how ungrateful these people are. How long are you going to take this nonsense? You're their leader. Aren't you going to tell them where, where to stop? Look at, look, look at what they're saying about God. Can't you, get, can't you do something about it? They are winding him up, those bodiless persons. And so God says to him, it's okay. These people, I understand them. Give them water from this rock. Speak to the rock. But by then, they've wound him up. So instead of speaking to the rock, he takes his rod and in anger, he smites the rock. And then in his anger, he makes a, a most irreverent statement. He says, must we, God and I, at that point, God said, it's over. May the enemy not trick you into terminating God's plan for your life. He says, it's over. That's what God said to him. Over. But because of their relationship, God takes him to the top of a, of a hill and shows him what he would have taken them into. That must have been one of the worst moments for Moses. To see your future, what you would have been, and know that you're not going to be it. Simply because the enemy got you in the end. My prayer is that you learn to fight. It teaches our fingers to fight and our hands to war. It is a battle. To establish God's promises, it's a battle. It's a fight. It's not a picnic. It's not Sunday school, no. It's a fight to the end. We wrestle. It's hand-to-hand -hand combat. You have to understand it. You have to learn the weapons of warfare. That's what I've been teaching every single day at 7 o'clock. Every day I try and give one weapon, one, one, one thing that makes the difference in the battle. Who goes to battle without being a skilled soldier? We're in a war. You have to learn how to fight to establish God's kingdom and to advance God's plans and God's purposes in your life. Can someone say amen to that? Amen. amen. Give God a clap offering. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, now, what did Paul say? Paul said that our life union with Christ is what gives us the courage to know that we're going to win this war. Our life union with Christ. That's what gives us the courage. Nothing here, you know, you meet someone, the person is in some addiction or the other. It's not, the problem is not here. When you deal with it there, that person will be set free. When you now speak, that person is set free because you've dealt with it there. That's what we are doing. We are teaching ourselves how to, how to affect things in the realm that matters. Amen? And Paul says it's our life union with Christ. That's what gives us... I mean, I'm not a stupid man. Trust me. You know, I might not be a genius, but I have above average intelligence. I'm not going to be doing what I'm doing, saying what I'm doing, if I knew that God did not back me. You know, <laughs> because I understand this war, and if you were there when I, thought about, when I talked about the weapon of the blood of Jesus, I understand that weapon. I know I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. God owns me. That's why Satan can't take me on. If he knocks on the door of my house, I don't answer the door. I'm not a stupid man. When God answers the door and says, what, what are you looking for here? 
we will see whether he thinks him and God are opposites and equals. I understand how the fight goes. I understand that I'm a battle axe as you are in God's hands. But then it must be because you've given yourself to God. Let's bow our heads. And so, it's time to think about life. Have you given yourself to God? You're listening online. Have you given yourself to God? Have you accepted God? Have you opened up your life and asked God to come and take residence in your life? Does he own you? Or to put it in more contemporary terms, do you have a relationship with him through his son Jesus? Just think about it. I'm not asking whether you go to church or whether you belong to a church or, or whether your family went to church. All those things, I'm not asking that. that doesn't, that's no, no guarantee of ownership. Wherever you are, just think about it. And then, if you can't say with certainty that yes, the answer is yes to all those questions. I'm his. I've given my life. I'm born into his kingdom. I'm, I'm certain I'm a part of his family. I know when I gave my life to Christ. Then I'd be saying to you, why don't you settle it now once and for all? Just slip your hands up. Make assurance double sure. Even if you're not sure, slip your hands up. With all heads bowed, please. Slip your hands up wherever you are. You want to give your life to Jesus. Slip it high. Slip it high. Please slip it high. Don't be embarrassed, please. I see that hand. I see that hand. Go on, slip it high. Slip it high. Slip it high. Anybody else? Anybody else? Slip it high. You want to settle this once and for all. Slip it high. Anybody else? I see that hand. Keep it up. No, no keep it up, my dear. Don't, don't be embarrassed. Keep it up. Keep it up. Anybody else? I see that hand. Yeah? I see, I see. In the overflow? If you're in the overflow, yeah, I know our, our, um, our, young, our, our younger people are there. If you're in the overflow, please slip your hands up as well. I'm talking to you as well in the overflow, please. Slip your hands up. You want to settle it once and for all. You want to give your life to Jesus. Go on, slip it high, slip it high. Anybody saying, let me just settle this as we start this war. We start this war. Slip your hands up. Slip your hands up. Slip your hands up. Father, we bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.